Well, Herbert Hoover's presidential campaign in 1928, they promised a chicken in every pot and a car in every backyard to boot. Well, less than eight months after he made this promise and, and took office, the bottom fell out of the stock market and plunged the country into the Great Depression. Running for a third term in 1940, Franklin D. Roosevelt promised the America, uh, the, uh, promised America that your boys will not be sent to any foreign wars. Well, in 1941, Roosevelt asked Congress to declare war on Japan in response to Pearl Harbor. In both situations, we see broken promises. In 1988, George H.W. Bush, he said something, he said, read my lips. What did he say after that? No new taxes. Whether you grew up on Saturday Night Live and you heard Dana Carvey say that, or, or you just heard George Bush actually say that, he said, read my lips. I promise that I will not add or raise taxes. Well, a recession, a growing federal deficit, and a few other economic realities that actually forced Bush to break that promise shortly after he made it. Every president, good or bad, has broken some sort of promise on one level or another. Sometimes because something unexpected happens, like a recession or a war. Or sometimes because the promises they're making are just absolutely ridiculous. When God makes a promise to his people, he keeps it. And when it comes to God's promises in scripture, we often see a few things happen. First, we see God make the promise. He says, I will do this. You and I will have this type of relationship. I promise you this will happen. And then sometimes thousands of years later, we see the ultimate fulfillment of those promises. What God says will happen finally happens. But we also see in Scripture another type of thing that happens with these promises. It's something that academics call partial fulfillment or double fulfillment. It's events that, in part, they fulfill the original promise in some way, but they point us to the later true fulfillment of that promise. And so you have the promise, then you see that promise in part fulfilled, but not fully, and it points us to a greater fulfillment of that promise. And with Joseph, we actually see this. We see partial fulfillment of an earlier promise that points us to the true and later fulfillment that we, as Christians today, actually get to take part in. Now, if you're lost a little bit about forward, backwards, what happened, promises, we're going to unpack that. So turn to Genesis 12. Turn to Genesis 12. You will need God's word in front of you today because we will be jumping around a little bit. I don't normally like to do this, but we're going big picture in the life of Joseph here. And so we're going to need to add a, a few things to kind of complement where we're going. And so Joseph's great-grandfather was a man named Abraham. He used to be named Abram. Now he's Abraham. And God comes to Abraham one day and he says this. Look at Genesis 12. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
It says, I will make you into a great nation. And I'm going to have you underline a few things. And I will bless you. Underline bless right there. I will bless you and make your name great. So that, in order that, you will be a blessing. Underline blessing. Again, right there at the end of verse 2. Verse 3. I will, underline, bless those who, underline, bless you. We've seen a pattern here. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And, and I want you to get a big highlighter, or you can circle this. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so, what word is often repeated here? It's the word blessed. And whenever you see words repeated in Scripture, especially in tight spaces and small chunks of Scripture, there's an emphasis here. God will bless Abraham and his descendants. God will be with them. God will work with them. God will work through them. And they, in turn, will do what? They will be a blessing to others. All the families on earth shall be blessed. So we have this promise. I'm going to bless you, and you will then go bless all the nations of the earth. And we see this promise echoed actually multiple times throughout Abraham's life. It happens another time when he sacrifices or he's about to sacrifice his son Isaac in obedience. God provides a sacrifice as a replacement. And then God says to him this right after. Turn to Genesis 22. Turn to Genesis 22. And go to verse 17. Genesis 22, 17. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring, your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring, underline this, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, we could spend a number of weeks unpacking the Abrahamic covenant, all the different elements of of land and blessing and seed. But there's one fundamental truth, one fundamental reality that God promises to Abraham that I really want to hone in on. And it's this idea through your blessed offspring, through your blessed seed, all of the nations on earth will be blessed. And so it's this idea that God is going to bless Abraham and his descendants, but through his offspring, the entire world will experience blessing. And here's the crazy part. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are about generation after generation after generation of foolishness. It starts with Adam and Eve, and up to Genesis 11, it's the Tower of Babel, it's, it's people doing dumb things, turning away from God, turning to themselves. It's, it, it's murder. It's, it's brother turning against brother. And then God chooses Abraham. And f- for the rest of Genesis, Genesis 39 chapters, God covers four generations of Abraham's family. So you have Abraham and his offspring. Abraham has a son. 
What is Abraham's son's name? Isaac. He has a son named Isaac. Isaac has an offspring, a seed. He actually has a couple, but uh, one of them is named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. He has a lot of sons. One who's beloved. His name is Joseph. And he's betrayed, sold, and bought like property, backstabbed by a vengeful woman, placed in prison, abandoned, remembered, and then promoted to the second most powerful position in Egypt during a time of plenty with a seven-year famine on the horizon. So during the seven years of abundance, the wise Joseph, offspring of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, starts saving up huge quantities of grain, like sand in the sea. It couldn't be counted. It was storehouse after storehouse of grain, just saving in a way that would have made Dave Ramsey giddy. And then the famine hits. The famine hits, and there's seven years of famine. Turn to Genesis 41. So we have the promise. Through your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Let's look at how Joseph operates here. Genesis 41, look at verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. And there was famine in all the lands, everywhere, But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. And so when the famine spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Let me get to verse 47. Moreover, All the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain. Underline that phrase. All the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So famines, they were a familiar part of life in the ancient Near East. It was most likely due to low levels in the Nile or a lack of rainfall, which would cause a low, or a low crop yield. And this was one of those types of seasons. And the famine here, it's, the word famine is actually used five times in this short little section. And the idea is that what is happening here is severe. The repetition emphasizing the seriousness of the situation. Everyone is famished and hungry and hangry because of this famine. And in their suffering, they go to Pharaoh and they cry out. All the Egyptians go to Pharaoh and they cry out, we need bread. We need bread. And the most powerful man in the known world at the time says, hey, don't look at me. I got nothing for you. But, but look to this wise man named Joseph. He will help you out. And so Joseph kicks open the doors to the storehouses and starts to sell grain. Not just to the Egyptians, but all the earth comes to Joseph 
to buy grain. And Joseph provides food for everyone. And later on in chapter 47, they say, you have saved us. We were headed towards death and you have saved us. Joseph blessed the world, not just his people, not just his nation, but all nations by making salvation available to them. They wouldn't die. And earlier I talked about partial fulfillment, events that in part fulfill the original promise in some way, but point us to the later true fulfillment of that promise. So back in Genesis 12, when God was speaking to Abraham, God promised that Abraham would be blessed and through his offspring, God would bless all nations. And so all peoples of the earth, they experienced the blessing of salvation through Joseph. And what we're seeing in the life of Joseph is, is a glimpse of that promise being fulfilled, but it's meant to point us to a later, greater fulfillment that we'll talk about here in a second. But it's not the only time in Scripture that we catch God's heart for the world. Not just for one nation, but, but all nations. We see it in the life of Joseph. We'll see it in other places because Scripture is like a song. Now, most contemporary worship songs are the exact same. And here's what I mean. This is there's a guitar intro, there's a verse one, there's a chorus, there's a verse two, there's a chorus, and then what happens is, is they go to something called the bridge, which is a little bit different than the rest of the song. And the bridge starts kind of low, and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds, and then boom, it goes back to the chorus, and everybody sings real loud again, and then the song ends, and we say amen, and we just kind of do it again. And it's not a bad thing, it's just how, am I right? Is that how most Christian songs are structured? Is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus. Um, And they're generally about similar things. It's like country music. Country music is only about a few things. Like, what are some country music songs about, Doug? You're a country music aficionado. Uh, Dogs, trucks, ex-girlfriends. And and a good good country song will have all three. And so dogs, trucks, and ex-girlfriends. Or a boat. Or a boat. boat. Um, (laughs) or, Or among other things. Uh, But you see reoccurring phrases in songs in the chorus, reoccurring ideas, reoccurring themes. In the Old Testament, God promises to to bless all nations through, through Abraham's offspring. And this reoccurring theme pops up like a reoccurring chorus all throughout Scripture. As I said, we see it in the life of Joseph. We see it in Psalm 22. You don't need to turn there, but I'll just read it to you. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of nations shall worship you. This is David writing about God. God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to Israel, Abraham's offspring. Years and years later says this, if you Israel put your detestable idols out of my sight 
and no longer go astray. And in a faithful and in a truthful, just and righteous way, you swear as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will invoke blessings by him and in him they will boast. So if you are faithful to me, if you crush these idols, then that will actually affect all of the nations of the world. I will work through you to be a blessing to them. Reoccurring visuals, reoccurring phrases, echoing the promise of Abraham. God will bless the nations through Abraham's blessed offspring. This echoing chorus. The promise of Abraham seen in the life of Joseph, written about with David and the prophets, is ultimately fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Turn to Galatians 3. Sometimes we don't think how Scripture fits together and we don't see the, the, the larger story at play, but Paul did when he's writing to the Galatians. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, look at this, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once has been ratified. Now look at verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings referring to many, but it's referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, Paul's argument here, I don't know if it would make an English teacher proud or, or cringe, but when God promised Abraham's seed would be a blessing to all nations, Paul is saying he didn't mean plural, seeds. He meant singular, seed. And that seed is Jesus. Now, Paul knows that offspring or, or seed can be used as a collective singular. That has a plural sense. And so I, I know I'm getting kind of grammatical, but a collective singular is like cr the crowd. The crowd cheered. Now, crowd is, it's in a singular tense, right? But it doesn't mean just one person. I mean, if it's a crowd of one, that's a pretty terrible crowd. But it's, it's, it's meant to be plural. And so that's potentially what Abraham thought when he heard offspring. It's many, I'll make you into a great nation. But it can also have the singular meaning. And Paul sees that the most true and ultimate fulfillment of these Old Testament promises comes to one offspring, and that's namely Jesus Christ. So through Israel, the descendants of Abraham, a savior is born. An offspring through whom the promises of universal blessing will flow. This Savior, he lives a perfect life. He takes our sin upon himself on the cross. He pays its penalty in our place and conquers death so that anyone, Jew or Gentile, headed towards death can receive eternal life through faith. 
And so salvation is not just for the Jews. It's not just for Abraham's offspring. It is through Christ Jesus that God will work to bless all nations. Christ Jesus being the representative of Israel. And in him, Gentiles, people like you and me. If we lived back in the day and we went to a Jewish town and applied for a job, it would say, hey, which one are you? Check a box, Jew or Gentile. And most of us in this room would check the box Gentile because you were either Jew or other. It was Jewish or everybody else. And so salvation through Jesus Christ has actually come to us as Gentiles. So Joseph, in a lesser way, fulfilled the promise to be a blessing to all nations by providing food to those who were physically hungry and headed towards physical death. And this points us to the greater fulfillment of Jesus, the bread of life, who feeds all people, all nations who are spiritually hungry and headed towards spiritual death. For Paul, the promise given to Abraham, a promise echoed all throughout Scripture, finds its full fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. It's really easy to read the the story of Joseph and moralize it. And say, man, I got to be more like Joseph. And I think that's how it's often preached. And there are parts of Joseph's life that we do want to emulate. But there's a bigger picture happening in this story. This history is part of salvation history. And when we read it, we don't just see a, a noble man in Joseph defying the odds and, and, and being blessed and doing these great things and being faithful and forgiving. We read it and see God's goodness in saving the world. And it, it reminds us of the greater salvation provided for you and me. You, you see, you and I in this room are recipients of the blessing given to Abraham thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. When, when he told Abraham, through your offspring, I will bless the world. By world, he meant you and I in this room. He will bless the world through your offspring. When God meant to do that, he had in mind not just Jews, but Gentiles could receive God's blessing of salvation through Christ and be, be a part of God's holy family. Think about this. When he said, I will make you into a great nation, numerous as the stars in the sky, he meant you and me. Now think about being there with God, looking up in the sky. Now, most of us don't live out in the country, and so uh, we don't see as many stars as we possibly could. But have you ever tried to count the stars in the sky? You can do it for about 30 seconds, then you get bored or lose track of how many stars you've actually counted. And and when Abraham looked up and and saw the stars in the sky, God said, I'm going to make you through you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, and, And you and me, every one of us in this room, we represent a star. 
like, like a, a huge star. And so when everybody says, what's it like to be a Christian? You can be like, I'm a star, baby. Uh, you can say something like that. Don't say that. That's a terrible way to uh, talk to people about Jesus. But that's the idea is he was thinking about you and me. You're one of those stars. And speaking to, to Peter, he says this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through, or 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This truth should move us to worship. Thank you for thinking of me thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Thank you through Christ Jesus for for blessing me, for making me a part of your family your holy nation. You in this room, you're part of that great nation that was promised to Abraham, ultimately fulfilled through Christ Jesus. Furthermore, we who've inherited the blessings of Abraham, we've also inherited his mission to be a blessing. Before Asher went out to hang out with his friends today, I gave him a big hug. Do you remember what I said to you, buddy? What did I say to you? Yeah, your neighborhood's a mission field. Think about how you act. Think about how you talk. Think about how you love people. We are blessed to bless other people. And what does it mean to bless others? Is it, you know, hey, say the blessing before dinner or... You know, make sure when somebody sneezes to say bless you uh, because of some weird superstition from from the medieval ages about your soul or something like that. I mean, what does it mean to to be a blessing to other people? And I think the ultimate way to, to bless others is to share Jesus Christ with them. Is to share God's plan of redemption with him. God came to Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago and said, what were Go. Get up and go. And all nations will be blessed through you. What does that sound like in the New Testament? The Great Commission. Go. Get up off your tuchus and go. And make disciples of what? Of all nations. Teach people to follow Jesus. Share the gospel with them. So that, I mean, enter into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. To receive the blessing of knowing him. The hope of eternal life. His presence with them consistently. The way we bless others primarily, guys, we can serve, we can love, we can care for people, and we're called to do that. But the way we ultimately bless others is to go and make disciples of all nations by sharing Christ. One author wrote this, the Great Commission is really the Abrahamic covenant applied to Jesus' followers. We're to go and be a blessing by making disciples. Coming back to the life of Joseph, he partially fulfilled this promise to be a blessing to all nations. He saved all different kinds of starving people from death 
And He provided them with what? With bread. Guys, people are spiritually starving today. And it's because of a famine called sin. They are spiritually hungry and headed towards death. And when I mean death, I mean spiritual death. That is separation from God. And if you die in that state, it means eternal death, eternal separation from God. That is what we call hell. We have people that are starving and hungry and headed towards spiritual death. And we have the bread of life. We can bless them by sharing that bread, Jesus Christ, with them. And I've heard people time and time and time again say the Great Commission to go out to all nations isn't for me. It's for you, Pastor. It's not for me. It's maybe for just a special select few called missionaries, but, but not for me. It's, it's for other people who are qualified and gifted like that. And so the Christian who says to me that sharing the gospel missions ain't for me is like a person storing up an endless amount of grain in their basement while their neighbors and coworkers and family members cry out in hunger. There are people around you crying out in hunger and you have been blessed. You have been blessed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been fed by the bread of life. Share that harvest. Share that abundance. Guys, we love talking about food that is good. If you guys go to a restaurant and you eat some tacos that are out of this world, what do most people do? What do most people do? Tell your huh? Tell your, Tell your neighbors. Guys, you should get these tacos. They're amazing. What else do people do? They take a picture of it. We take pictures of our food and we put it online so that other people will know how good this food is. Some people, their entire life is going around filming themselves eating food and saying, you should eat this food. That's what the Food Network is now. We literally, we watch people eat. How many, I mean, guys, be honest. How many of you have watched somebody eat a meal this week online? And if your hand's not up right now, you're lying. Because it happens all the time where there's food. And, and those people are excited to talk about this food that they've eaten. Man, if we can talk about a stinking meal or a hamburger that satisfies us for an hour or two, or if you're like me for 30 minutes, then you're hungry again. If we can talk about those sort of things, guys, we can talk about the bread of life that sustains. We can talk about Jesus with, with people who are actually spiritually hungry. God has saved you and blessed you. Not simply so that you can be a good person. Not so that you can just be a nice Christian and, and go to church and check the boxes. Guys, those things are a part of it, but God has chosen you to work through you, to take part in his 
great project of world redemption in light of Genesis 12 to be a blessing to all nations. One missiologist, his name is Christopher Wright, and he he wrote a really good book called The Mission of God. And he says this, when God set about his great project of world redemption, he chose to not do so by whisking individuals up off to heaven, but by calling into existence a community of blessing, starting with one man and his barren wife, then miraculously transforming them into a large family with several generations. We see that with the life of Joseph. Then into a a nation called Israel. We see that in the book of Exodus. And then through Christ into a multi-nation community of believers from every nation. All through the story, God has been molding a people for himself, but also a people for others. Through you, all nations will be blessed. This is a promise given to Abraham, partially fulfilled in Joseph, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, of which we're now a part of.